We've uh, been talking about the subject. If everybody has your, your Bibles, you might turn over to Numbers 11 to get started. Bring me one, Mom. Here's one. Numbers what? Numbers 11. What are we studying anyway? Studying depression. Oh. Uh, we've been. I'm the expert on depression, Paul. Well, I, you know what? I was, no. I, I was telling Barbara, well, I won't go into all I said to her, but I said that uh, as I read on this and read the various books and all, I said, I really learned some things, and I, you know, I had been thinking of it in a different way, and based on the, uh, it, first of all, it's something that everybody experiences, you know, <laughs> and that was interesting, and then, and then when I read the symptoms, I thought, well, I've experienced that too, but I've called it things like dissatisfaction, or you'll say that I'm just down, or, or something, and we use other words for it, but really it's... Uh, uh, it, it is depression, and one of the things that was it's interesting in, in reading, and there's a number of, a lot of good material on the subject, is that not only does everybody experience it at one time or another, but it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, intelligence or education. The most intelligent and the most educated experience it, and the least intelligent and the least educated experience it. It's uh, part of life cycle. The life cycle. Men, men and women both experience you, it, but <clears throat> women, according to stats, are more than twice as likely to experience it than men. But that's because it, depression is one of the uh, emotions that can definitely be caused by hormones and things beyond the information itself. And so because of the uh, hormonal changes within the female body, and sometimes operations and things like that, uh, it makes the woman more than twice as apt as a male. Well, two, uh, uh, women, women are more likely to seek help for it, and that's one thing that they base their statistics on. Okay, uh, that's real good, Brent. Uh, because women are a lot, uh, they do seek help for it more. Right, and uh, another thing that, I mean, not only do they seek help, but women are more apt to admit that they have a problem yeah. than men are. Men are, and even when it comes to physical things, uh, uh, men are apt, more apt not to go to a doctor than a woman. So it, and, and so you look at the stats and it's like women run to the doctors more often, they have more problems, but the reality is they just didn't admit it, you know, a lot of times when men don't. But right, that may, that may be a, the, a big factor in the stats, but anyway, it has not, it's interesting also that not only does it have nothing to do with intellect and education, male and, and female and all, successful and unsuccessful, sometimes very successful people, you know, go through periods of depression. And then this was interesting even uh, uh, from a spiritual standpoint. There are spiritual giants that have problems with depression. And one of the, the man that historians consider the... Um, greatest president that we've ever had, Abraham Lincoln, uh, had long bouts with depression. Uh, and, and yet, uh, and sometimes the very qualities of a person's personality that, that are commendable can bring on a depression if it's not counteracted in certain ways. And this was the case with uh, uh, Lincoln sometimes. Uh, what I'd like to do to, to start out with tonight is look at some uh, characters in the Bible that uh, and these are people that it got so bad they actually wanted to die and ask God to take their life and one of them was Moses and we uh, the other one is Elijah another one is Jeremiah and then of uh, two other of the different type personality but Saul and and Judas but anyway, with the first three, it, it got so bad with them that they actually told God they wanted to die. Another one we're not going to look at because we're so familiar with him. But Job, uh, definitely, it, it got to the point that he actually begged to die. You know, he, he wanted, he couldn't, he couldn't see the purpose for his even being alive. So suffice it to say, it's nothing that anybody ever has to be 
embarrassed about because the very best that have lived have gone through it at times. And yet, on the other hand, it's something that, uh, that uh, can be handled. And we're talking about it, and, and as we deal with it tonight, we're making the assumption that everybody knows that we're dealing with, with depression when it only uh, revolves around the experiences of life and the thoughts and all. We fully recognize that there are hormonal things that are separate apart from this, that it can, they can be brought on for, from that standpoint. And we're just not dealing with it from that standpoint tonight. Look over at uh, Numbers, the 11th chapter, and uh, beginning with verse uh, 10, and remember Moses when he was leading the people out that after all of the miracles and the plagues and, and everything that God had done to produce belief in these people, he just seemingly at times just got overburdened with the fact that they just seemed to be so immature, they, they just would not grow up and, and they were constantly complaining to him. And so when we drop in on Moses here, we, we, the people are complaining and they're dissatisfied with Moses. And put yourself in the position of somebody that is literally giving up your life and you're doing everything you can possibly do for other people. And even though you're doing that, they're dissatisfied with you. And they're blaming you for whatever the, the problems are. And so that's the situation when we drop in on Moses. Uh, <coughs> Let's see, uh, Karen, you want to read that verses 10 through 15? Are we in uh, 11, did you say? Uh-huh, Numbers okay. 11. 10 15, okay. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance of his, of his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why, did, why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to land you promised at, on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. Okay, so, and the way this translation words it, the American Standard Version says in verse 15, uh, please kill me at once uh, if I have found favor in your sight. Do not let me uh, see my wretchedness. Notice the statement today, if I have found a favor in thy sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. But notice that uh, he's actually down on himself, and he's real disturbed at the people. He's down on himself. And he's in a situation where uh, it seems to be impossible. Uh, he simply cannot manufacture food and, and give those people something to eat. And he's the one that's been responsible for leading them out, and they've taken the stand and all. And then it's like now after they're out there that all of this is happening. So he takes it to heart and says, God, if this is the way it's going to be, then just go ahead and, and please kill me at, at once. The answer uh, in verse 16 and 17 it says the Lord then said to Moses gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you then I will come down and speak with you there and I will take of the spirit that is upon you and put him on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you shall not bear it alone. Well, it, it's uh, apparently uh, he voices to God, and we see that God listens to his prayer. And he has a legitimate complaint, that it, it's just simply too much for one person to bear. And so God says, okay, Moses, we'll take 70 others, and we'll spread this out, and you won't have to bear the burden on your own. And so, from Moses' standpoint, the answer to his problem came, first of all, he had to be willing to acknowledge that he had a problem, and it was more than he could handle by himself, and that he did need some help. Uh, and then God more or less says, well, Moses, why did you say so earlier? But uh, it's interesting that God let him reach that point where he realized that he needs some help, 
and he chooses out the, the others and they began to uh, share the burden with Moses. Any comment on it? Your comment there just kind of reminded me that although God knows what we need and uh, he, prayer is there and we are to pray and to ask. Right, I think it's uh, on the one hand God <clears throat> knows what we need and then on the other hand, you have it as part of the will of God that, uh, that he worked through the prayer of righteous people and that uh, and one of the ways that our faith is built personally is through that relationship with God. But yeah, that's a good observation that, that uh, uh, God obviously knew. Uh, Moses re had to recognize that there was a need there and then God answered and he gave him, gave him help. And one of the areas in reading the various sources on depression is that one of the quickest ways to send anybody into depression <coughs> is to put them in a situation where more seems to be demanded of them than they can actually give. Uh, it, it, it may be a, a, a parent or it may be a person in business or it may be anything, but if you're in a situation where there is more demanded on, of you than what you seem to be able to give, and yet you don't find any way out of that. Well, well then the end result is you're going to turn and, and, and be depressed. One thing that's interesting to me on one example I read on, on our mind and the way we think, it said they took a, an experiment, took a group of bright students. These were students that were brighter than the average, and they were giving them a test on a particular subject. And they told them that on this uh, test that the average person finished it in a certain amount of time. And they had that time. So they were told in advance, and really they lied to them, that uh, the average person couldn't finish this in that time. But they told them that the average person finished this. And so they said in the process, when they didn't finish it, they began to get real fidgety. Uh, they got uh, aggravated and all. And this went on for a period of time, them giving them tests and, and, and these bright students and telling them that the average person ought to finish it. And so some of them became depressed and, and wanted out of the class and, and came to the conclusion that they just simply were, were not bright enough. And if they had told them that, uh, you know, that what they were doing, that, that were even the very brightest, you know, had difficulty finishing in that amount of time, the people would have felt good about themselves but because they had it in their mind that the average person finishes it. And then he went on to point out uh, that one of the worst things that we do is set up comparisons with other people, that we have a tendency to do that uh, on our own, and, and, and pointed out that in the school system, our whole method of grading and all sometimes is, is caused for you know people that don't come up to a certain standard to be depressed and down. Uh, when in reality that uh, everybody should have to compete with nobody but themselves. It's to me like here that Moses was was not communicating with God enough. That, uh, That's a good observation. These people were having needs and I guess he was putting it on his own shoulders. He couldn't find the answer to it, but he should have been asking God. Yeah, I think that, it to, you know, it to, it, it, when everything it looked like it just come to a, a head with him, and then he just tells God he just can't handle it. Yeah. And don't we do that a lot? Yeah. I think that's a good observation. Oh, that it, the indication is that Moses has been going for a period of time, and he's been bottling this up, and simply becoming frustrated because he couldn't handle it. And then he finally just tells God to kill him. <laughs> and that's all he asked for. If you can't, you know, if you can't do any better than this, just kill me and get me out of my misery. And so God gets him some help. But he, he acknowledged that he needed help. Now, that's interesting because come over to 1 Kings 19. And again, we have a, a same thing involved in the uh, depression. And that is uh, a person that apparently, again... Uh, even though he's a very a spiritual giant of the Old Testament and a great prophet, uh, he comes to the conclusion that he's all alone and that the situation is more than he can handle. 
And again, we see that when you reach the, I should have spoken a little better, Jim, 1 Kings 19. When you reach the point where you, uh, in fact, uh, for again, on the sources that I read, anytime a person feels that they are alone, uh, they, are, they are set up for it. And you can be alone with a lot of people around you. If you're, if you're in a situation, and it may be, it may be even your, your mate is there and children and other family, but if you feel that nobody understands your situation, and so in that sense you're alone, then you can be a set up for depression. Because everybody, whether you're the husband or the wife or the child or the aunt or the uncle, everybody has a different situation. But anyway, he said that uh, you can be around a lot of people and still feel very much alone if you feel that you're alone with your body. And there's nobody really that, uh, that understands and, and knows what you're going through. Uh, the 19th chapter, look at verses uh, 4 through 10 with uh, Elijah. Uh, we, it's interesting, we've just uh, had Elijah at his very best. Uh, not too long before this, he had the big debate with the prophets of Baal. And remember where he challenged them to a public debate and then called on God to ignite the sacrifice after he had challenged the prophets of Baal to call on him all day long and, and actually mocked them and chided them. And God uh, came through for him. It was Elijah's idea. Uh, James uses Elijah uh, as a man that that is an example of what a righteous person can do with prayer. And so God listened to Elijah. Uh, he was vindicated, and, and a lot of prophets of Baal lost their life on that occasion. But now there's a death warrant out on him. And so Elijah's in a situation now where it's like, I've, I've given, and I've given, and I've given, and I've given, and I've done, and I've done everything I could to show these people, and they still don't believe, and they still don't care. And not only that, Jezebel is trying to kill me and nobody really cares and so in that condition uh, he heads out and that's where we run into him here on the uh, let's see verse uh, 4 uh, Brian would you not Brian yeah Brian if you got a <coughs> so read that verses 4 through 10 please okay um, while, he, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert he came to a broom tree sat down under it and prayed that he might die I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake, a bread cake baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went to a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. All right, notice that, again, the feeling like uh, Moses, I'm here by myself. You know, Lord, it, it's too much for me. I need help. And here we have, in the way this translation renders it, and uh, verse 10, and I alone am left. Well, notice how that comes up again, and look at verse 14. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, uh, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken the, the covenant, torn down thy altars, killed all thy prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And so two times, obviously, the emphasis that, that I'm alone. And so when you're in a situation and, and you feel you've been given it your best shot and, it, and you're still are, you're, you seem to be rewarded the exact opposite of what you should be for giving it your best shot. Elijah is one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament and is, is used as an example. In fact, remember when Jesus was transfigured? It was Moses and Elijah. The reason they used Elijah along with Moses uh, to the best that anyone can figure out is the Jews respected Elijah as the great prophet of the Old Testament because of his boldness. He was so bold and so aggressive. But even though he was that spiritual and that bold and that aggressive, when he came to the conclusion that he was all by himself and that he was alone and nobody else cared, he got depressed and he didn't want to be around anybody. 
So he just heads out and winds up in a cave by himself. And that's after asking God to take his life. And he's come to the conclusion that I'm just alone. Nobody else really cares. Uh, God, go ahead and take my life. Okay, look at this in, uh, in verse 16. Let's see. Uh, uh, verse, and the Lord said to him, go, verse 15, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel, king of Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And then Elisha, the son of Shapheth, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And so he tells him to anoint two people. We get all the way to 2 Kings, the second chapter. And finally, Elisha was going to replace him. But actually what transpires in there is he trains Elisha. And after Elisha has been trained, Elisha goes ahead and replaces him. But then we also have this statement. Look at verse 18. He said he's all alone. And he said, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal in every mouth that is not kissed him. And so, just as Moses found out, there were 70 other people among that group that had the spiritual maturity that they could help him bear that burden. In the same way, he tells Elijah, Elijah, contrary to what you think, you are not alone. That I've got 7,000. Personally, I don't believe that's seven literal thousand. Uh, that I think the word seven was used in a very... Uh, unique way throughout the scripture. But I believe he said 7,000 in Israel, and not only did he have that 7,000 there, but one of those was Elisha, and Elisha was good enough to replace Elijah. And, and not only but uh, replacing, but remember Elisha requested twice the spiritual powers and was granted it, that, uh, that Elijah had. And so again, a prescription for depression, uh, uh, drawing within yourself, and instead of looking out, drawing within yourself, uh, thinking of yourself as is all alone, and notice in both cases here, whether it was Moses or Elijah, they come to the conclusion that God didn't care either. And, and Moses even tells God, if, if you don't care any more than this, then please kill me. <laughs> I can't handle this thing. But they had actually came to the conclusion that they weren't anything. They believed in God with all their heart. And they had been strong warriors. But they had come to the conclusion that I'm just not special with God. I don't understand why it's happening to me this way. And if it is going to be this way, then I just want to die. And they felt all alone. They didn't feel like anybody else was, was there with them. And God, number one, lets them know that he does care. And all they had to do was ask, and I believe that uh, Elijah could have prayed before he did. Uh, and I think God waits until Elijah gets to that point and, and realizes his need, and, uh, and then he goes ahead and has this, the conversation with God. They find out they're not alone, and that God does care. And, and Elijah was to find out that there was somebody that was just as talented and just as spiritual that he was that could even replace him. Uh, as a as a prophet of God, did Elijah have the did, did did he have the power to grant this request, or did the Lord give it to Elisha? The Lord, uh, he asked. He asked Elijah. Or did he asked the Lord. Well, the the context in there, he he asked Elijah for double, but then Elijah didn't know whether God would grant it or not, but he did. And then as soon as Elijah. Was, uh, I thought that Elijah told him if he watched him go up, he would be granted that. Yeah, he may be right on that. And he saw him go up. He was going to take that right. as a, but it would be God's sign to him that if he saw him go up. And then right after it happened, Elisha went out and put it to the test uh, yeah. on a similar, right, right, right away. Part of water or something? Right. I think so. The, did the same thing that, uh, that Elijah had done, but he put it to the test right away. And Elisha, you know, turns out to be an outstanding prophet. And by the way, one of the theories uh, why so many miracles were wrought through Elisha was because of his tremendous faith. And the same with Elijah. Uh, keep in mind that even those that had the authority 
to perform miracles, that that authority itself was contingent upon their faith. Uh, remember when Jesus gave the apostles the ability to heal in order to and perform miracles to confirm the message, and then in Matthew 17, the first time that they tried it, that they failed. And then he rebuked them and told them it was because of their little faith. Well, then the second time, they were successful. So even the very authority that God gave them in that was contingent upon their faith. And apparently, Elisha had a tremendous amount of faith, and Elijah also. And that there were miracles, they had the authority, and there was miracles that were wrought through them. And when I think of that with Elijah and Elisha, you know, you wonder even with us today, I don't believe that we have miraculous powers because I have not been granted it as prophets of God or anything. But we do have, we're told, for example, by James that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much before God. And we're told that if we pray in keeping with God's will and in faith, that we can actually know that the petition is going to be answered and all. And so you, you wonder at how much maybe that we cheat ourselves sometimes by not having the faith to go ahead and exercise it in keeping with what God has, has given us. Any other comment? I think Elisha is probably his, his uh, Elijah, if I remember correctly, he performed about seven miracles in Elisha 14. Okay, I hadn't really counted that exactly, you know, that's, that's interesting. That's, uh, that's interesting. That he that he's, uh, he had been granted the yeah. double portion. Yeah, and then I wonder on the writer, you know, you wonder if all of them are actually recorded right. in the first place, yeah. but then the author, if that's true, the author specifically chose to record it, you know, double. Because I was thinking of, you know, John saying about Jesus that many other miracles, you know, were done and yet these were written. But that's interesting. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't even noticed that. Elijah went up and and the chariot of fire, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. He was. Now what about uh, Elisha? How did he? Did he just die? Well, there's no. The record is uh, not there. I mean, he didn't. There was only two that was translated, and one was Elijah, and the other was Enos. It seemed okay. like I read somewhere whether there might have been fifty or more people saw Elijah go up. Yeah. Well, Elisha himself, you know, saw him. Yeah. And then uh, they went looking for him. They refused to believe that uh, they thought maybe he had been dashed somewhere, you know, and they went out and looked for him. But also, it uh, the very fact that he went in that way says something about even death itself, I think, that, you know, that death is, is just a word that means separation, and it's put forth as the separation of the spirit from the body. And Paul actually looked forward to dying and going to be with the Lord, and for Elijah to be granted that, it, uh, among other things, it shows that uh, he was departing to, to be with God. And at the transfiguration in the New Testament, you've got Elijah's, Elijah and Moses that are there with Jesus, and they're having a conversation. And they're discussing the, you know, the crucifixion that's, that's going to come. And Luke, Luke records part of the conversation. It was Moses and Elijah, right? Right. Moses the lawgiver and at least in the Jewish mind uh, he was the we think in terms of the great writing prophets like Isaiah but the Jew uh, he put Elijah up at the top of the list and it was because of his uh, his boldness and in fact it was so much in their mind that the prophecy of John the Baptist was that you know he, he called him that he would be another Elijah and of course he was a very bold and aggressive individual it seems to put Elijah very high because um, during the crucifixion when Jesus called out Eloi, Eloi, and they said he's calling for Elijah, mm -hmm. right. yeah. let him come down and save him. So they right. put him on the pedestal of you know, God and let him come down and take him from the cross. And right. So that, they, they must thought very highly of Elijah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but you also get a glimpse there, uh, Brian, even when they call for that, that the, the Jewish mind thought of death as the spirit going into the Hadean realm, you know, that the, only the body would turn to dust and the spirit going into the Hadean realm, obviously. And remember that uh, when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am, and son, they said, well, some of them believe that you are Jeremiah, one of the prophets, you know, risen mm -hmm. from the dead. 
but again, it sh showed their concept that they they definitely believed in eternal life. Mm -hmm. well, Moses was certainly great. The more the more you read, the more respect you have for him. Yeah. Talk about depression. Um, it renders helplessness. You know, when you get to that point, you know, learn helplessness. So that's good. I can't do anything, yeah, so I, I'm now just sort of frozen. I'm helpless, I can't do anything. Helplessness and hopelessness, uh -huh. isolation. For whatever reason, I always, until I was studying that, tended to um, associate it, put it in the same category with worry, but it's really not. Um, worry involves a, a lack of faith or, or trust in the process. But the thing with um, depression, you can actually have an individual with tremendous faith and a very spiritual person and, and, and be in depression and has a thing. He's just come to the conclusion that this is his lot. Like Job, for example. Job never denied God. He always believed in God and he, he even believed that the time would come when he would be vindicated. But he came to the conclusion that this was his lot and he didn't like his lot. And, and when, when he came to the conclusion that this is my lot in life, and he didn't like it one bit, uh, he was very down, and uh, he began to curse the day he was born, and he wanted God to take life uh, the process. And so you can, you can be very full of faith, and Elijah obviously was full of faith. But if you reach the point that, in other words, to me, Elijah's like the, the guy that's given it his best shot, and it wasn't enough. I mean that uh, Israel is still in idolatry. They still haven't responded, and he's given, and he can't understand it. I mean, these great miracles have been wrought among them, and he's he's given it all that he could. And then here you got Jezebel, and not only is she trying to take his life, but nobody seems to care. And and so here you are, you're you everything you've done has been for the right reason, and people that should be defending you are not. And you have just given up on reaching any of them. And so here we find him, man, with uh, tremendous faith, and yet still depressed. Well, it's a feeling that you can't change your situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, it's, it's, it's maybe discouraged is a yeah. synonym. Well, it's very yeah. close, isn't it? Yeah, just, well, you'd have to be discouraged. It's, it's a lot it's more than discouraged. Yeah. It's, further, it's a further... Yeah. I've never known anybody that was really depressed that didn't want to die. Because you feel, you feel like that you would be better off, and you feel like that everybody around yeah. you would be better off. Because, I mean, I was a pain. I mean, I I was a pain to myself, but I know I was a, uh, I was just terrible to live with. I know I was. I was very irritable. Um, that's just one of the symptoms of it, and, and you just. You just feel so. Well, you just so feel so out of control and and angry and and irritable and I mean, you just name it. And you, I mean, it's just yeah. it's just almost unbearable. Yeah, I can see. Of course, now where it's hard sometimes to draw the line, especially when ladies are involved, is the hormonal thing. You know, that has a, a bearing also. But uh, but I was reading another thing on these articles on depression. It said there's they conservatively about forty thousand suicides a year in the United States, and they said obviously a lot of times when they believe something is suicide, you got to be able to prove it before they classify it. And and so, it, but it said many times that you know they believe that it was. They said they believe even a lot of uh, fatalities on the highway or or where somebody has just committed suicide. But it said in, uh, in most suicides, somewhere around 90%, the chief culprit is depression. That it, uh, and it said anytime people are down and they talk in terms of not wanting to live, that you, know, you needed to pay attention to the individuals. Here's, maybe maybe that's why um, when Joshua took over from Moses that the Lord was very careful in the first chapter of Joshua, to, he just kept talking to him to not be, uh, to be strong and courageous and to not be discouraged. He says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then he, he, he repeats this 
obviously there had to be the potential and God saw it or he wouldn't have repeated it as many times as he did and being discouraged was uh, uh, one of them and again he's trying to lead that same group of people the spiritual giants into the land of Canaan uh, I think there's a difference too and maybe Joe can help with this because I've, I've never lost a mate but I know they say the period of real bad grief depression usually lasts from one to three years and you know you can read that and you can know that things will get better you you see other people that lose people and they do get better after a period of time where when I was depressed and weeks turned into months and months into years and I wasn't any better you know I began to think that, that I would never be any better. You know, I, I could see no future. I, could, uh, I couldn't see anything beyond that because I hadn't gotten any help. And, you know, uh, some people do stay in that state. It's not the, it's not the general rule, but mine was much longer than, than the general rule because they started out, took three years to diagnose me, and then they started out saying, well, probably in six months and then it was five and a half years even after that yeah. so it, but now with you wasn't there they said a physiological chemical uh, right, uh, right. That's yeah, what I'm I had saying. a chemical imbalance too but it, yeah. it for most of the people it it's not and that's the ones that are the hardest to deal with is the uh, where there is the chemical mm -hmm. or the hormone is the hardest to deal with and from the standpoint of length of time and from what I was reading, any time you have a pro uh, situation, then, uh, then the chemical thing needs to be suspected. It says at first, they don't, one of the reasons they're slow to diagnose it, it said, is, is that uh, it's not the norm. And so it's only when they try other things or it goes for a prolonged period of time and nothing is working that then they become suspicious, you know, that there's, there's chemical problems. Well, actually, I'd say for the first... Uh First few years, she went to normal general doctors, general practitioners, and they would just say that there wasn't anything wrong with it. No. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd run tests. And, and then I can see how that could complicate it because mm -hmm. then you begin to mm -hmm. think you can get down on yourself. Well, I was uh, truly, she you know, went I was to several. She went several times to several doctors that said that they couldn't find anything wrong. Uh. It said that um, health, uh, a loss of health, loss of a loved one, uh, loss of job, anything that you value and lose and you know you've lost it, uh, that anybody would have, it said anybody experiences depression after those things. That anybody says they don't, it's just not being honest. You know, if they got feelings and all they do, then the key is, you know, the overcoming it and all the way through, of course, that uh, they point out that the Christian is in a completely different uh, situation, you know, than somebody in the world. Just like I think, even with the loss of a of a mate or a parent or anything like that, uh, I was really close to my stepfather, but I was absolutely confident of his relationship with God when he died. You know, I was very confident, and so that made the entire thing different. And then uh, I was very close with my grandfather, the one that was 101. Well, the same thing. I was very confident, you know, of his relationship with God. I think it would be totally different when somebody uh, dies that you're close to and, and you don't have that confidence. It would be hard to God. deal with, I think, even from a Christian standpoint. I mean, if you had a child, lost a child. And they're, and you don't they're feel not in the about Lord. It. I think that would be hard to get up and go on. I, yeah. think, I think about Dorothy Lawson in that aspect. You know, Brenda kept telling her, I'm going to come back to church. I'm going to come back, yeah. you know. And she mm -hmm. and Scotty, too. Yeah, and Scotty, too. Mm -hmm. But it's you You can't let that, because um, even now, uh, some people will say that. And yet I know from my experience in going around and talking with people and uh and they'll, you know, you talk with them and they'll say, I'm going to come back and I'm going to come back, you know, and the next time you talk with them, I'm going to come back, you know. And then you get to that point and you realize that obviously God knows their heart, you know, and the, all the time. 
but it's just uh, I don't think you can be down on yourself. And I think the, the scriptures give the answer to that type thing. It says, you know, the soul that sinned it will die. The father will not bear the sin of the son or vice versa. And if you know where I would feel bad is if I had not said anything to another person. I'm not talking about feeling bad because you didn't. I'm talking about just feeling bad for that child. Right, for that person. Yeah, yeah you can't. To me, that's one of those things though where, again, <laughs> there's, there's still, those things happen and they'll always happen. But you got to remember too, God loves everyone. So it hurts God every time anybody dies that's, that's lost. And so obviously that... Uh, we, there are methods where we can deal with our mind, even though those, those kind of things happen. And then, but then there, what causes depression is when a person will not turn loose of it. And they just simply dwell on it and dwell on it and dwell on it and, and just refuse to think in another direction. Uh, turn to the 20th chapter of Jeremiah. And again, we see the same type of thing with uh, Jeremiah that we saw with Elijah and Moses. And he just reached the point where he thought he was alone. And uh, he had given his best shot. He was not successful. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, two of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament uh, probably went out of this life not thinking of themselves as very successful. And that, that's uh, Jeremiah and uh, Elijah. Remember, Jeremiah preached from 627 to 586, 627 B.C. to 586, 41 years. And he begged those people, and he cried, and he pleaded, and he warned, and, and he approached them like a father, and he approached them like a judge, and, and they beat him, and they stuck him in the mud, and they threw him in jail. And after all of that, in 586, he had to watch the Babylonians come in and absolutely destroy the city and wipe out the temple, and they were carried into captivity. And he had to accept the fact that, uh, you know, he had not been able to bring about a repentance in Israel. But then on the other hand, we can look back historically and see that there probably would have been no Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or a king like Josiah, had there not been Jeremiah. In other words, the, the few that he did reach were very prominent men, but he didn't know that at the time, that it, was, it would be after him that they would become so prominent. Okay, look at this beginning. Mark, would you start that please in verse uh, uh, 7 and read on to 13 and then Alba, would you read? Uh, uh, Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah 20. If you read 7 through 13 and then uh, Alba, if you read 14 through 18. O Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Report him. Let's report him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our refuge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced, or dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to me, a son. <coughs> May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. <laughs> May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb. <laughs> and my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow 
and to the end of my days in shame. Man, if you ever been down, I remember uh, when I took up <laughs> in college, I had sermon preparation and delivery under Brother Baxter. Baxter, and he said that any time you ever get think you're having it rough and you get down, sit out and read the prophet Jeremiah and you realize how good you've got it. Uh, he literally was cursed, he was mocked, he was made fun of, he was beaten, he was dipped in the mud. After Mark, he couldn't be here anymore. Uh, all the uh, time that he's given it all he's got, this is happening to him, and there are hundreds of false prophets that the people are following. And they're all claiming that Jeremiah is a false prophet. So here you are, the only one that's telling the truth, and you're put forth as the liar and the false prophets, and they're listening to the others. And they're all going around saying that the Spirit of God is, is speaking through them. And Jeremiah had to contend with that constantly. But he was, he wound, here we're halfway through his book, he winds up vindicated. He, he at least lives to see the fulfillment of all his prophecies. It broke his heart, and you read that in Lamentations when, Jer when uh, uh, Jerusalem fell. But all his prophecies were fulfilled. And then we have the people, for the first time, acknowledging that he was a prophet of God. You know, that they had refused to all through that time. It's interesting that he got discouraged like that because he actually preached. Um, I was reading yesterday morning, I think, Jeremiah 17. Um, he says, this is, this is Jeremiah talking. He says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength. And then he goes on up to verse 7. He, he talks about the cursedness there. And then he goes on and he says, but in contrast, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leave, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. See, that's part, see, he believed every bit of it, and it's true. And that's part of Jeremiah's problem as an individual, that those blessings would come to Israel as a nation if they walked with God. But if they as a nation rebelled against God, punishment would come and innocent people would suffer. And Daniel was carried into captivity, a righteous man, Ezekiel, a righteous young man, was carried into captivity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were carried into captivity. And Jeremiah suffered all of this. And it was so bad, I mean, when you look at that 14 through 18, I, he seems to be the most down of anybody yeah. we've read. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think it's good because he knew that you the answer is to trust in the Lord right. and your confidence, and yet he did get down. So I think that yep. helps us that when times we get down that, you know, maybe... Well, what he knew, though, he knew that, but he was not able to persuade Israel to repent. He knew... He knew they didn't have to be destroyed. They didn't have to go into captivity. They didn't have to lose their temple. That he knew that they could be prosperous, and yet he was not able to bring that about. I think that's the whole key to it, whenever you try hard and fail. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It doesn't involve his belief, because he believes. In fact, look how strong he believes in verse 9. He says, but after going through all of this and being mocked, he said, if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, I cannot endure it. In other words, he said, I got so disturbed and so disgusted and so down that I just was going to quit. But he said it became, the word became like a fire, and he, and he couldn't, and it, had, it just had to come out. So you've got a man that's so depressed that he's cursing the day he was born, and everybody had He doesn't like anything about the day he was born, and yet he believes without a doubt in his mind, he loves God, he has faith, and he believes in God's Word. He doesn't like his lot, and he doesn't like what's going to happen, and yet he seems frustrated because he can't do anything about it. And so when there's something that you want that's right, and you give it your best shot, and you try to bring it about, 
uh, I think if you wasn't giving it your best shot, you probably wouldn't get so down, you know. Or, but you, you have to really believe it's right, and you have to be giving it your best shot. And then, I think the, uh, the, the lady that they made a movie on because she killed her husband and, and the mistress that he married, uh, I can't remember, but it was on about a year or so on TV, but they said she had been the ideal mother, you know, and, and, uh, and mate, you know. She had been an excellent wife and an excellent mother, and they just give her life up to her, uh, her husband and children, and then found out he was cheating on her. And she was down and depressed and saw doctors, and she finally wound up killing him and the, the one he married. But um, what came out is if she had not given it, all that it wasn't a matter, it wasn't a case where she could look back and say, Well, I should have done such and such. She had to look back and say, I, I did the very best I could, and it wasn't good enough. And, and I think this is with Moses and with Elijah and with Jeremiah, they did the best that they could do, and it just didn't seem to be good enough in their judgment, and so they were a setup uh, for. For depression as a result of it. So again, has nothing to do with your belief or your spirituality. Now, to conclude the whole thing, somebody, Alva. I was just going to say the prophet, a bit like this, had some kind of special connection. I mean, they were, they were actually speaking uh, the words of the Holy Spirit, were they not? Or, or the Holy Spirit was working through them. Right. It's still their heart, but the Holy Spirit is seeing fit to well, have this recorded. Well, it was working through them like it was working through, say, uh, one of the apostles is what I guess I'm saying. Right, right, just like the apostles. Yeah, the Holy Spirit was working through them. And that's, I guess, one of the reasons that, uh, you know, or that makes it a little more explainable because the Holy Spirit was working through him, so he got these messages and and they weren't good messages that he had to speak. And right. Was, you know, they, he was, they were bringing him all kinds of problems. It would be just like us with the yeah. put yourself in the position in the church of standing up for what is morally right and being denounced and being told this is the 90s. People don't live like that anymore. You're just trying to bind those first century customs on people. And so you stand up for what is morally right and people began to uh, run over you and put you down and to lie about you and everything when, you, when you're doing what is right. And then there are people out there that are obviously not even spiritual or sincere and they're being exalted because they're telling people to go ahead and live the way you want to and you'll still go to heaven. The stock, I guess. Yeah. He wouldn't have any success with anyone. I noticed in the footnotes here that it says the word deceived means uh, seduced or enticed. So if you look at it that way and read it, Oh Lord, you enticed me and I was enticed. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all the day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, and that's where I got this idea a while ago, he says, whenever I speak, I cry out pro proclaiming violence and destruction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he was getting these messages, these messages of violence and destruction, and then he says, so the word of the Lord has brought me insult, reproach all right. the day long. Yeah. Right. An interesting thing about people back in the when the stock market fell in the 20s, I guess it was. Those people who jumped out of the windows and killed themselves. Now, because they lost all their money, if it hadn't have fallen, they would have spent all their money for health if they had something wrong with them. Right. But they had perfect health, and they yeah. jumped out the window and killed themselves yeah. because they lost their money. Yeah. I guess they probably didn't read it That's out. a good analogy, that if they had been sick, and a doctor who told him he could cure them for that amount of money, they would have spent yeah. come up with it. Did you know that that's what Francis's uh, father did? Oh. Brenda's grandfather. He lost his money in the Depression and he killed himself. That's something. Uh, the last one, 
on here is the perfect example outside of course the Lord himself you want to turn to Philippians 4 and beginning with verse 4 we'll be our last one as we've looked at the ones that didn't handle it right and, uh, and had their problems uh, Paul is in jail and Paul has suffered tremendously uh, we all know the passages where he talks about being shipwrecked by being beaten five different times with a whip with the maximum number of lashes that they could give. Uh, he had been jailed. He's been mocked. Uh, he's been rejected by the most conservative brethren in the church because of uh, uh, leading all those Gentiles in. And so here he, here he is, though, in jail, beginning with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at last you have revealed your concern for me Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. You can see not only has he been in jail, but there's been nobody to minister to him. Now that I speak from, not that I speak from want, and here's part of the key to Paul's success. Now, first of all, we see his trust in God, uh, his uh, commending, uh, going to God in prayer about every matter. And then he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, and then he goes ahead and compliments them as a congregation. Uh, one of the things that come out from the doctors uh, that I was reading from on the uh, depression thing is the ability to be content in whatever your situation is. In other words, the, the truth is with Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah, they were great prophets. And they were doing a tremendous work whether they realized it or not. But... Jeremiah wasn't going to be satisfied with anything less than repentance of the nation, and that wasn't going to come about. And Moses wanted more. Uh, he wanted faster spiritual growth and more faith uh, out of those people. Elijah uh, was so concerned about all the people that were against him that he missed the 7,000 that was on his side. And so Paul's in jail... But he's thinking of those that are out there preaching. And he says in Philippians, he says, I rejoice that Christ is preached. He said, I don't even care what the reason is. That uh, just the fact that Christ is preached. And he said, I will learn to be content in whatever state I, I'm in. And so I think if I've lost a limb, if we, we lose part of our health, if we lose a mate, if we lose a child, uh, if we lose what, whatever it is, and we realize that we've given it our best shot in things beyond our control and have come in, then I think the key is doing what Paul says and, and we be content. Obviously, it wasn't meant to be. Even though we may have wanted it, even though it may have been right, it wasn't meant to be. And so he said, I know how to be humble and live in humble circumstances, and I know how to have a lot. I know how to, to want and I know how to, to have plenty. And so whatever the circumstance, and he writes that is somebody that's in jail. And so I think that uh, even as we work for the Lord and as we work on our own personalities, we work on our own families, we need to accept in advance that 
We're not always going to be successful. Everybody has free choice. There's going to be times when we suffer at somebody else's mistake and that we just have to learn to grow spiritually out of those situations and be content with our lot and recognize, as Paul did, that we're here for a short time and we're going ahead to, to be with the Lord. Any other comments? Well, I would just say that uh, so much of it has to do with uh, having a sense about you that God is in control and, yeah. and you basically are turning those things over to Him. And that's, that's how, I, mean, I think that's really how that people like, I don't do it very well, but I think that's really how that people like Paul handle it was that they just did what they could and they felt that God was in control and would handle the rest of it. Yeah. I think just like with Paul, for example, I don't believe that Paul ever realized that he was as great as we realized he was because all of those times that he's in jail, he actually wants to be in Rome or some other place and he's forced to write them these letters because he can't get there. And now we look at the providence of God and say, you know, uh, thank God for slowing Paul down, you know, and getting him to write a little bit. Well, you see, when uh, people are in these, uh, one problem that we have as individuals is that we want to correct these things ourselves. Right. We want, if things aren't the way that we want them to be, we want to correct them. We want to change them. I mean, we sit and worry and think about. I'm just talking about myself. That's yeah, I, I think have, we all do. You, know, you know, I'll sit and think. Well, now, what can I do to change this around so it's the way I want it to be? You know, how can I? Come? And then we get frustrated because we can't think of anything to do. Yeah. That's you know maybe legal and moral and ethical. We, there's nothing. Nothing that it's it's all out of our control. It's in the hands of other people. Yeah. And so we get, that's where the depression, I mean, that's where the hopelessness comes. And uh, feelings of despair come. Because there, there probably isn't anything you can do about it. You know what David did whenever he was, his son was dying? You know, he got an altar shake. Right. And immediately after the son died, you know, he, he just turned about face. And, and he said, I, you know, he accepted. He said, I, I can't bring him back. That's excellent. That he did everything he could do when he thought he had a chance, and then he just accepted what God said. I think I agree with. I know I'm like a lot like what you said too, Alba. In that, I think one of the disadvantages there's a number, of course, but of being brought up in a non-religious home and then being converted is that you get used to thinking of life from the standpoint that you just do things. You know, in other words, that I wasn't like the cat. If I went to bat, I wasn't crossing myself. I knew if I didn't hit it, I didn't hit it. <laughs> and, and, you, and I had that attitude towards life. It was all either be good enough to do it or you just don't do it. Well, then I catch myself, uh, you know, as a Christian, uh, getting down or discouraged on something because you, and then you stop, you have to yeah. make yourself stop and think, well, wait a minute, you know, that, that it's the Lord's business. You know, and that uh, I need to be praying more and worrying less about some of the things. You know, and we have to, we have to somehow let somebody give God. somebody the eye. I'm not hoping anybody. <laughs> she, she's well, well, just we're going to have to be I'll tell you one thing. Is, uh, I think Moses and Jeremiah almost became as bad as the people they were complaining about because. Moses said to God, why have you put the burden on these people on me? Why have you? Why have you? Yeah. He was blaming God. For, yeah, he still believed in God's power and you know knew that he was there to help. But he was saying, why have you done this to me? When God had given him food, had crushed the Romans, given them faith passes. They were going to the promised land. They were fulfilling a prophecy. They were under the protective hand of God. Couldn't have asked for them. And yet he was blaming God, saying, why have you done this to me? And, but I think part of Moses' problem was the fact that that he had trusted God so much, mm -hmm. and he had, and and yet it, it's like, is this the way I'm going to be rewarded? Is is leave these unfaithful? I, I think we become so overwhelmed sometimes. Sometimes with the things that are bad, we lose sight of what's good in our lives. Because when I become depressed, the way I try and come out of it is think, well, 
let's see, you know, my grades aren't that good, I'm never going to get a job, and everything's bad. And then I think, wait a second, what am I thinking about? You know, I have a great family, you know, I have friends who are behind me all the way, you know, if nothing else, you know, I'm a Christian, I have the Lord there with me, you know, and I think right. people lose sight of the good things when they get down, and that, that helps bring you back out of... I think that's what Paul was great at, was mm -hmm. looking at the good. Mm -hmm. Nobody did it better than Paul. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's the... In jail, beaten, uh, whipped, and he still said, you know... He is the Lord. He learned how to be everything. Right. And I think that, I, but I think what you're saying right there is that uh, there's a tendency when a person is depressed that what they're really doing is zeroing in on the negative mm -hmm. when there's all kinds of positive that they could think about. And that makes it worse because you dwell on the negative and it seems even more hopeless. Yeah, you and, you and you can't, and you go, well, this is bad, bad, but there must be something better. I'm worse, I can think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Throw yourself a big old But you know, Moses, you know, you, he could have said, well, I, I'm giving up, said I. I got myself in trouble, hit the rock, 